Hello, and welcome to Everything We Made, a podcast that I hope is about growth as much as it is about music. I'm Sean Decker, and I'd like you to hear something. You're hearing Modern Grotesque, which is the title track off the new album by Dreamwell, featuring my pal, Aki McCullough, on guitar. We had a nice long chat about the recording of this cursed album and her other musical endeavors. favorite um, childhood memories has to be the when I was first getting into music. Um, obviously, it's a very important part of my life now. It's what I spend most of my time on, and I really think um, I kind of went through a series of different hobbies when I was younger, um, and when I first started playing guitar, that's when it felt like things really started to fall into place. Um, I remember first when I started, my dad taught me a few chords on acoustic guitar. I was like, all right, this is pretty cool. Um, uh, I kind of want to play the electric guitar now. Uh, I started, I just have so many memories of uh, when I was 12, 13, uh, just downloading guitar tabs off of places like Ultimate Guitar and um, just learning a lot of the music I was listening to at the time. There's a lot of kind of like pop punk, this mid 2000s, some like uh, heavier stuff. Uh, I got really into playing System of a Down songs. Um, I just remember spending all of the time with my binder of guitar tabs sitting in the garage and uh, playing playing these songs and learning these songs um, on like one of those like really cheap uh, d- like Fender digital amplifiers with all the different presets um, and I think that's when I really started to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and feel like I really 
had something going for me. Yeah. What kind of things did you imagine for yourself like before that, like whether they were superficial things or just like childhood, like, like, you know, um, impossibilities or whatever. So I kind of had a few different uh, phases. I remember the first one, um, I really wanted to be uh, an astronaut. I think that was like five or six. Uh, now the idea of being in a spaceship is pretty terrifying to me. Oh, um, yeah. Kind of claustrophobic, uh, being in a being in a little bubble. Um, so I'll I'll stick to the claustrophobia of being uh, cramped in a tour van. That's about that's about as far as I can go. But that was one of the first things I wanted to do. Um, I remember I think I was like five or six, being like, "Oh, I want to be an astrophysicist." I don't even know if I knew what that meant. I think it was just <laughs> something I saw, and I'm like, "That sounds cool." I probably, yeah, I probably didn't know what that meant. Um, then I think I had, like, an anatomy phase where I was like, oh, I want to be a doctor. Um, my parents were probably excited about that one. Um, uh, and then the one that lasted for a while was being really into uh, roller coasters and amusement parks. Uh, I got really into the game Roller Coaster Tycoon. Okay. Okay. Uh, actually still play it sometimes now um i'm not much of a gamer but i am still that i do still dabble in the competitive roller coaster tycoon uh <laughs> online forums and that sort of thing uh but for a while i wanted to get into like roller coaster design amusement park design um and i think I think I, at some point I realized I would need to be good at physics, uh, so um, so that one didn't didn't pan out. Yeah. Um, how much? Yeah. How much like in person experience have you had at at like amusement parks and roller coasters? Um, a pretty decent amount. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Southern California. I'm actually back there right now since it's uh, for the holidays. Uh, we had went to Disneyland a lot when I was younger, and then. When I got a little bit older, uh, Knott's Berry Farm and uh, Six Flags Magic Mountain had oh, season okay. passes. Uh, and then whenever I traveled anywhere, I tried to uh, kind of convince my parents, like, hey, we should go to the amusement park. Um, uh, they, they wanted to see more of the, like, actual local touristy type stuff, like the stuff that actually defines a place instead of like the artificial spaces sure. but i was just like oh please i really want to go see the amusement parks so yeah excitement i was able to uh see a few around the country also when i was traveling um this point i think it's been like four years i went to uh six flags new england four years ago that was fun um just kind of uh kind of tiring on the body at first but uh maybe i'll get back to it someday did you did you ever have any like wild experiences uh, on a roller coaster or anything like um you know like real out of the ordinary experiences um i don't think anything particularly weird happened uh some cool things that happened was i was i was like into this enough that i was uh i got i was in kind of like the the clubs um and like going to the events so i was able to 
go on the rides after like after the park closed with like just the members so um it was like you could go on it with barely any lines and kind of go on it again and again oh and, nice uh, one, one of the big things too was that like oh you get to ride it at the end of the day after the park's closed so it's been running all day um so it runs extra fast because oh. it's been kind of go it's all loosened up or whatever uh-huh. <laughs> um so i got i feel like i got that kind of one of a kind experience uh that only only the members got so that's a fun thing from that that time in my life yeah i see i definitely like have not been to many like on ben- many amusement rides but one time like I was on one in Bush Gardens in in um I think was, I don't remember if it's in St. Petersburg or if it's in Tampa, Florida. It's that was, you know, I mean, very long time ago for me now, but um <laughs> like uh also I didn't drive there, but um when when we were going on one and some people kind of went upside down or whatever, like all this money fell out of somebody's pockets <laughs> and went on the thing. And it didn't like disturb the ride or whatever, but you definitely heard like the money under the things and you heard it like shooting out. Ooh, like you heard like pating, pating, like the money shooting. And I was just like, what? Like, yeah, it was like, I was real scared, but like nothing happened that I know of, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, it hurt somebody. Yeah, yeah, right. That's what you think. Like it's just impaled in someone's, like a, a half chewed <laughs> penny or whatever is like impaled in someone's arm. But <laughs> it was just whatever. I guess it probably happens a lot. But uh, yeah. Um, going back to your binders full of um tabs. Like, did you, like, did you have to write these out by hand, or were you like just printing them off and just um. For the most part, I was just printing them. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's funny that you say that, though. Uh, for my own music, I was writing back then. Uh, I did write it. I did write tabs on just kind of like, just kind of like normal paper. Um, and yesterday, my my mom kind of just dropped this like pad of paper off in my room, and it has one on there. Some there's just. I don't know what it was. It looks kind of like, looks kind of like metalcore. Uh, it's a lot of bar chords, um, kind of untaps and stuff. So uh, it's it's very rough, but <laughs> it's funny because that was just how I first wrote uh, music on guitar. Uh, yeah, just on pieces of paper with guitar tabs. That's funny. That's awesome. Like I'm, I'm interested to see what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Dig. You know, you unearth this re- relic, and you can later uh, re-experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When when my cousin and I were just starting bands when we were um, younger, like we didn't know anything about tabs or anything, and we just developed this way of just like, <clears throat> like we just called everything like. Um, we just knew like the two bar chords uh, on guitar, like the one being like an an E bar basically, and the other one being an mm-hmm. A bar. So we would just be like A three, E five, you know, um, to 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 E three or whatever. And um, oh yeah, we just had to guess, I guess, like what the rhythms were or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't know. We that's just how we tried to communicate to each other and uh mm-hmm. i don't know i guess it 
you know, we ended up writing some songs in that band and, you know, it, it went for a while and so I guess it worked out eventually, but um, like, how did you, like, did your, like you said, your dad started showing you some chords and stuff and, and then you like, did you take the tabs yourself or did someone like, did your dad like take you like that step further or? Um, so he was kind of the first one to show me any sort of uh, chords, but that was kind of more actually like instead of guitar tabs, like actually playing the chords and like showing what fingers I was supposed to be using for which chords. Um, I think so I learned those, but uh, I think at the time I was like, yeah, that's cool. Um, and most of the music I'm listening to two has less like power chords so mm-hmm. i'm just gonna go do that <laughs> mm-hmm. like these written these lettered chords didn't didn't mean much to me at the time i just wanted to play some crunchy power chords so yeah. i kind of switched to that pretty quickly and then like later you you realize you can do really weird shit with like all the regular chords that you learned before oh yeah and like mixing mixing everything up like i don't mm-hmm. know yeah i was like um i really just learned by like yeah some some guy that i worked with was like this is uh these are these two bar chords like good luck and just like listening to songs (laughs) Mm -hmm. and stuff um but later like being like wait if you play like a bar but then make the rest of the chord a c down like on the ninth fret like that sounds pretty cool (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. but um yeah, you said you were getting into like you were really into system and system of a down and stuff, and I, you know, mm-hmm. like when you said that, that didn't surprise me. Like not not just because like they shred, but like I was like, oh yeah, I could definitely like hear that in some of the stuff that you know I'm familiar with you doing. Um, but uh, how did you like how did you come there like via like um, your like sort of like musical journey of discovery or whatever how did you come there from i know that was not the most like obscure band or whatever like they were probably on some radio and stuff but it's not just like the first Mm. thing that people listen to like how did you sort of get into that type of stuff for for them particular in particular i actually had some friends in middle school who who liked them a lot um and so i was like oh i'll see what this is about um i remember uh at the time kind of the very first way i was discovering music was on msn music which was like mp3 downloads uh like a a place where you could buy mp3s kind of like itunes but i guess kind of before that um okay and you could also preview the songs so i just remember like, back before you had streaming, um, just being able, like, just kind of going through these bands' pages for hours, listening to the 30-second the previews, and trying to get an idea of what the best songs to buy would be, or later discovering stuff like LimeWire and being like, okay, I'm gonna go find these on there now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it really wasn't, like, too much of a it was a pretty short window of time before between like when you'd hear like 30 seconds of a clip like on myspace or whatever 
till mm-hmm. the time when you could just like download like whole albums like from you know uh mm-hmm. either well like kaza was one of the first ones i can remember or like you know then later like soul seek and whatnot but um <clears throat> yeah that's really cool so you were kind of like buying one track or finding one track and then just like um you, you know making playlists and and mm-hmm. and getting further into it. um when about did you start like realizing like or or was this right away that you you wanted to make your own music um i think i always i i, I always wanted to create music even before i played guitar um it's actually really where me starting music began was um in elementary school that kind of had us choose instruments um so around the age of nine i picked up a violin uh and um we also had this kind of like an old uh i think like yamaha keyboard and uh it would have those default songs you could play it had the music for them um i remember ode to joy being in there that beethoven piece Uh um but they only had like half of it and i was like oh i know there's more to this song um and actually ended up figuring it out by ear uh i didn't really real and then i wrote it down in music i didn't really realize that was something that was a skill that was taught to people and i I just kind of did it um Mm -hmm. My parents were like, whoa, how'd you, how'd you do that? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I always, I feel like I always had that drive to figure things out and to create. I always kind of, basically from the time I started playing violin, I kind of just had songs in my head. And I think I had those songs in my head even before I started playing guitar. Um, and then I finally had a means to kind of start creating them uh so it was pretty much even before i started um guitar that i was wanting to write music uh, but those first few years of guitar was a lot of trial and error um i feel like my songwriting abilities were always ahead of my guitar playing abilities um i, I just straight up wasn't very good at it for a few years um, I did also didn't really have any means to do good recordings. Uh, kind of had like a handheld recorder. Um, I don't think it was until maybe 2009 or so that I got some like, like a Line 6 pod and kind of had a very basic way to record um, guitar riffs onto a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later it got um, downloaded Reaper and Audacity, and was learning how to use those. And then I was like, okay, so this is how you, this is how you really do this. Okay, so you feel like that you're <clears throat> in the beginning, like you, it, it kind of sounds like maybe your biggest like sort of like barrier to entry or whatever felt like you your skills just weren't catching up to your imagination oh mm. uh, yeah yeah it felt like i had a lot going on in my head all the time and i didn't just i didn't quite have the means to uh put it down into music 
um, which is obviously kind of a, a lifelong skill. Mm-hmm. But um, at this point, that's a lot more developed. Now I just wish I had more ideas. Now my brain's just <laughs> empty. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, that's the um, the constant. Like, is is the pouring the glass out and like hoping mm-hmm. it fills back up, or what do you do mm-hmm. to fill it back up? Yeah. Um, so like while you were trying to like let your you know, your hands and whatnot catch up with your brain, like, did you feel just like utter determination or were you like, oh, this is never going to work? Or was it it, a little bit of both? Um, a little bit of both. Uh, I think, I think in order to persevere with, with music at that point, you have to be kind of delusional. So I was like struggling to like, uh, to like pick correctly and I was like yeah I'll be I'll be like a rock star eventually <laughs> um, <laughs> like yeah that seemed, that's that's reasonable um, <laughs> is I was that... also sorry go ahead it was also kind of like I was balancing the, the life trying to trying to follow the path that seemed like what I had to follow uh, just like going to college and entering some sort of STEM field and uh, kind of pursuing music. Um, So I I kind of did have to do both at once. Um, I did end up kind of combining those eventually, uh, which is how I got more into the recording side and the music tech side. Okay. Um, Before I asked about that, like, what did, what was, like, is that where you originally were, like, in your mind, like, as you're younger, like being like, I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to be a rock star and play in front of like thousands of people. Or was, was it just like, I, I'm going to make music and then see whatever else happens. I think, I think it was more, there's, there's that fantasy of being able to play in front of big crowds like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I really thought much about what, the path was to get there besides just kind of doing what I could you know mm-hmm. if that was just playing in a garage with some friends yeah I'm I mean I you know I've been I've been doing this a long time I still I, it's like <laughs> you you can go like I've seen bands go out and tour like nonstop, and it just doesn't happen and then I've seen bands do the exact same thing and it and it happens like Mm-hmm. like you think it should you know uh but yeah. um yeah it's really i mean it, yeah it's really interesting to hear like what people thought like when you know when they were kids especially because like we all have like such different ideas about that that, that sometimes I, I really enjoy the sort of magical aspects you know like mm-hmm. oh yeah you, you just do this and then you just do that and and then um it happens, but then later you realize, like, oh, um, anybody can just make a record, which is awesome, and I'm glad that's actually the way it is. Um, but um, then when you look at your childhood idea of like, maybe it's you think that there's only so many records being made, and those are the people that you know you see up there. Um, it's really funny when you like can compare those things now that you you know, have more experience. Um, 
But um, what did you mean when you said that you're, you know, you're too, like you put your, uh, your your um, two ideas into practice together, like your um, educational <clears throat> studies and your like desire to play music. Um. So. Yeah, I guess I always saw it as like, oh, I can do music for fun, and that's kind of what I really want to do, but also I kind of have to pursue, like, a real career. Um, and so that's kind of how I saw it for a while. Um, later into high school, I kind of discovered um, the existence of both uh, music business, like, degrees and music tech degrees. Uh, I learned more about both, uh, and ultimately decided that music tech was more interesting to me. Uh, I'm not much of a, not much of a businesswoman. Mm -hmm. Uh, I liked recording, liked being in the studio, or hadn't been in a studio, wanted to be in a studio, recorded myself, was like, yeah, that's fun. Uh, so, uh, I ended up, um, kind of looking at music, music tech and music engineering programs a little bit more. Um, I think it was 2009, I ended up going to see University of Miami and ended up seeing the studios there. Uh, thought that was really cool. Um, applied and ended up getting into the program. Um, so that just felt like the right, the right path for me. So I ended up moving from California out to Miami in 2010 to go to college for music engineering. Um, and that's, that's how I ended up in Miami for, um, the first, or for those five years. Uh, that's actually where, um, I don't know how much you're going to want to get into this later, but that's kind of where Vivid Illusion first became, like, a full band. Um, 
Yeah, when when you had posted uh, the newest Vivillusion album, that was the first that I heard of it, and I'm like, wow, this mm. is really good. And um, I listened to it uh, a bunch, like for a little bit, and never even realized until I was like sort of getting like writing some things down prepared for this chat it, and i was like there's two other whole albums mm -hmm. and they go back like nine years and mm -hmm. um so um yeah you said that that part of your life like when you're in college was when it first became a full band so then mm -hmm. i'm assuming that the first vivid illusion album um which was um the cyclical nature um you did that before college um so it came out uh right before my senior year in college but it really had been kind of a um kind of a project i've been working on for five years at that point so kind of going back to when i was saying i was first learning reaper and audacity um mm -hmm. that's really actually when i was writing all those songs so that was 2008, 2009, and that was when I was still um, kind of figuring... I think I even recorded some of the first demos for Vivid Illusion on that, the weird uh, Line 6 pod software they had, where it kind of just looped the riffs, and it wasn't really an actual DAW. Um, I remember recording riffs into that. Um, but, yeah, so really, the songs in the cyclical nature go way back then, uh to me first getting into recording myself and I was 16, 17 at that time. Uh, and um, I was really, um, I was kind of talking about like my, my journey with heavy music kind of started around 13, 14 with System of a Down. Mm -hmm. um, I really actually connected most with their self-titled album, their very first one. Uh, just like the opening song on that album, just having such crushing heavy riffs. And I'm like, what, what is this sound? How do I find more? And I was like, oh, metal. And that's, that's where I can get more of that. Um, I think for a while I was into more of like new metal stuff. Um, uh, like corn, uh, Deftones. Um, eventually, I think uh, I, uh, being being online got to me. I was like, "Oh, that's that's poser stuff." I'm gonna go listen to um, to, to some real metal. Um, I've since come back uh, to listening to Deftones, one of my favorite bands, and uh, I still love new metal, so full circle. But <laughs> after after that, um, yeah, I kind of got more into like thrash metal and then like death metal, uh, melodic death metal. Um, just kind of diving into like, oh, I want to listen to like the most extreme stuff that I can find. Um, and that influenced a lot of my writing around then. Um, and then I remember um, it was end of 2007, um, uh, since my parents you knew I was into heavy music, they actually got me a copy of, they got me the end of the year um, edition of uh, Decibel um, when they do like the album of the year list. Uh, okay. And it came along with like a demo CD that had 
like one song from all the bands on like their top 50. Um, one of the ones that had that really stuck with me was um, by the band Rosetta. Oh, okay. Uh, they'd released the album Wake Lift that year. Um, and that, that was really the first time I'd heard anything like that. I was just like, it was a nine minute song and it just felt, it didn't, obviously it went somewhere, but you're, it was really felt like you were existing in the moment, just kind of taking in this ambience. Like I never even listened to post-rock before that. Um, mm-hmm. so that was really my first entry point into that world at all. Um, and I was just like, this is, this is incredible. I've never heard anything like this um and then from there it was like i need to find more stuff like this um so i found um isis the band um and cult of luna uh i found neurosis too um i don't know if i was ready for that at the time um i think i was really looking for the more post rocky side of it um in recent more recent years i've ended up really getting into neurosis as well um just really love the the more sludgy sound um Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i just remember all of 2008 diving into cult of luna rosetta um callisto um a lot of the like european um post-metal bands uh and um that's kind of when i started having those those ideas come to mind that made the uh the cyclical nature mm-hmm. um and um i had demos of all those songs from the time they never really went anywhere i went off to college um got distracted by other musical projects for a few years um and eventually came back after a few years of being in college for engineering and learning more about it coming back to those songs and deciding to finish them in 2013 um so that was the first vivid illusion album right and then you said like it became a full band Mm -hmm. like while you were in school and then that's like obviously uh when the second album came about um Mm -hmm. Um, circumnavigation a and yep. and um now that album it's i felt like it's you know it's similar enough but it's obviously like a kind of an an evolution you know like you said the other one you were piecing together for a long time since you were like pretty young um but um I, the other thing is like i don't remember there being any vocals on the first album so then Mm -hmm. on the second one there are it's it's mostly instrumental but there are some vocals um Mm -hmm. and until you know the newest one the self-titled um there's lots of vocals was this Mm -hmm. part was this part of the progression like calculated at all or is it just like every time you make an album and you're just going to see what fits and um and that's just the way that they all happened. Yeah, it, it's a little bit of both. I definitely, I definitely like being mindful of kind of big picture songwriting. So not just writing an album, but I do, in a way, want to write a discography. Um, I want each album to evolve a bit 
um, but still kind of fit in with the album before, so it kind of can tell a story of the band itself. Um, and I feel like uh, Vivid Illusion definitely does that, but most of that evolution was kind of organic. Um, back then, in 2013, I wasn't... I didn't really have much experience with writing lyrics. Um, I didn't have much experience doing vocals, and I didn't really have anywhere to record vocals. Um, I was just kind of living in a house with a bunch of people, no soundproofing, uh, mixed the whole thing in this reflective room. I don't know how I... It's, it's a miracle that it sounds as listenable as it does. Um, <laughs> I... Um, so yeah, I... Uh, the guitar and bass was lying in and the drums were programmed, so it was all kind of just in the box. Um, Mm. And that was just kind of working with what I had at the time. Um, so after I released that one, I wanted, I got this show offer to play the songs on it. Um, it's from one of those pyramid scheme companies that books, um, I was like, uh, Afton or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to sell like just, certain tickets or whatever. Yeah. They, they just like booked like 40 bands and then you sell as many tickets as you can, they take the money for it, and, like, three-quarters of the bands drop, um, and they just take what they can get. Um, so, after that, it was like, yeah, I'm not doing that again, but uh, it did kind of serve the purpose of, like, bringing together this group of people that I had always... I'd been friends with all of them and uh, worked with them in some capacity, um, and yeah we kind of got brought together um so that was uh if you look at the credits for circumnavigation a that was um ant tabuata um on guitars and also max melander on guitars um then mike gardell on bass and jackson Furlick on drums so these are all my classmates in the music school at university of miami um all of which had varying degrees of interest in kind of like heavy or atmospheric music um and really we just intended to play that show but we really vibed and started decided to keep working together on new music um so throughout 2014 we kind of decided to keep to to write new music um and each of us kind of contributed a song um and those kind of went to the sessions that became both Circumnavigation A, but also some of the music on the the third album, too. Oh, okay. Um, so, they now, you really... Said... Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, that, yeah, that was all. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, you were saying before, you said uh, you had gotten sidetracked by other musical projects. So mm-hmm. were you, like, while you were putting together the first album and, and that, and you know, uh, were you playing in other bands that were playing shows and writing, you know, music and stuff as well? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so kind of the first band I had that really played a show and functioned together as a band was um, this band called Demise of Italus. Um, and that started with um, me and James Goldman, who um, I actually i am still friends with, I'm roommates with, and... I run Newhouse Studios with. I don't know if you're familiar. Um, 
basically we have a home studio um, in Massachusetts that we run together. Um, and we, we've been friends since 2008, uh, actually in California, going to music camp together and wanting to play songs together, where I played guitar and he played drums. Um, and that kind of turned into us playing some songs I'd written um, together. So uh-huh. while Vivid Illusion was more me kind of exploring the post-metal style, um, Demise of Italis was more exploring the kind of like faster like death metal and thrash metal and like melodic death metal. Um, I listened to a lot of stuff like Arch Enemy and Children of Bodom back then. Uh, so it was this kind of, it was like a heavy and fast, but also kind of melodic and uh, almost like theatrical sound. Um, and we ended up finishing an album and releasing it in 2011 um, called The Nightingale. That was kind of our first, both of our first real albums were released. Uh, it's clearly something that we developed, we did when we were 18. Um, it's very ambitious. Some of it falls uh-huh. a little flat now, but I think there, there's, there's some riffs. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I could write like that now. I could never, I, I've lost too many brain cells to write <laughs> solos like that now. Um, I just, I just make noises now. So, um. Yeah, that was kind of my main focus for a couple years there. Um, We ended up working with a couple musicians. Um, One of them was actually uh, Aaron Stakoner, who uh, is actually a touring musician in a couple um, uh, pretty well-known death metal bands now. Um, I think he's still working with the death metal band The Faceless, uh, who I actually really liked back, back in that the day too so that's that's cool he's working with them but he was also a part of that band um on, honestly he was on a whole different technical level than all of us um like he was a couple years younger than us and just like a virtuoso at drums well i was still struggling to remember my parts um <laughs> but that's kind of what my main focus was kind of in that, like, 2010 to 2012 and 13 time. Yeah. Um, And, and yeah, and then I kind of decided to go back to Vivid Illusion and try to finish up those songs because I was like, oh, I really have something there. Yeah. I think it's awesome when you play with somebody that's so much better than you. It can really, like, push you to, you know, like... Like, you literally have to be able to keep up mm-hmm. to a degree, you know? So you're oh, just, yeah. like, pushing yourself. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, so was that band playing shows and stuff as well as, as working um, on music? Yeah, we played, we played around a lot um, in 2011. Uh, it was actually kind of tough because I was in Miami for school. Everyone else was back in California. But we, oh. went, we went as hard as we could in the okay. summer of 2011. Uh booking as many shows as we could um but it really did kind of feel like a dead end um because there was so much pay to play and we didn't really have the means to get on anything else so we we're just selling these tickets like not getting any money from it um not getting anyone at the shows 
I mean, we had a, a few cool like, house shows and things like that. Um, but it kind of, it felt very um, frustrating and disillusioning. Um, and I think that also was one of those moments where I was like, okay, maybe I do need to just keep this on the side and focus on focus on school because this is just not fun right now. Yeah. Were um, you also like yeah. more into one aspect of making music than the other? Like was, was recording and stuff more like your thing or it, it was just the circumstances? Um, I do think, I, I think recording was more of a strength then. And I kind of just worked on a lot of writing and riffs and, recording uh i didn't i don't feel like i was the best live musician at the time um and also the types of shows we were playing just weren't that great it was just like throwing a whole bunch of bands on a pay-to-play package where there'd be this kind of like melodic technical death metal metal band with a bunch of kind of more um i guess like scene core type bands uh kind of like crab core type bands um Mm -hmm. which I'm I'm cool with some of that music, but at the time I was just like, ah, oh, all this like all this poser shit. Uh, <laughs> so I think we were, I think we were frustrated by that part as well of feeling like we weren't playing bands that were playing with bands that were similar to us, right. or that we felt like we could form connections with, as much as we were just being thrown on these bills with bands we didn't have anything in common with. Right. Um. So. Basically, um, at some point between your uh, second Vivid Illusion album and the latest one, which just came out this year, uh, also Dreamwell became a thing. How did Dreamwell mm-hmm. all get together? And um, like, uh, what was you know what was the um, process of like the band getting get together and like writing songs like? Mm-hmm. Uh, different from like how was it similar and how was it different from when you were writing full band with um, Vivid Illusion mm-hmm. um, yeah so that's that's an interesting one too so basically I graduated from University of Miami in 2015 um, I I was pretty burnt out on engineering at the time um, I, don't, I don't think I ever became unburnt out on it uh, <laughs> but it's like, well, I gotta get a job, I guess. Um, I got an offer from a company up in Massachusetts, uh, and so I ended up taking taking that. Uh, it's like Boston was one of the cities I wanted, I could see myself living in, um, and I was like, yeah, this feels like the right choice. So I moved up there, um, and kind of for the first year and a half I was up there, kind of just felt isolated from playing with other musicians. It was like, I didn't really know anybody. I was kind of shy. I was, it was hard for me to meet people. Um, and I, I really wanted to get back into playing live shows. Like I had towards the end of my time in Miami with Vivid Illusion. Um, so I was kind of, I was in a few Facebook groups. I was on the lookout for, for like anything. Um, at some point in the years prior to that I'd started kind of getting into like the more the modern wave of like post-hardcore um and like screamo um so I was really into Touche Amore and like Pianos Become the Teeth 
Um, and uh, I, I, I was starting to kind of write a little bit. My, my writing was starting to take on that style a little bit, um, which you can kind of hear that in the most recent Vivid Illusion album too. Um, and I was in this Massachusetts emo group um, and the our original vocalist for Dreamwall uh, posted like, yeah, we're looking for, we have four people, we're looking for another guitarist. We're fans of like Pianos Begun the Teeth, Touche Amore, La Dispute, Defeater, like that that sort of style. Um, I was like, yeah, sounds good to me. I'll check it out. Um, and uh, yeah, I just showed up for the first practice. Um, they gave me an address. Um, I drove an hour from Boston into rural Attleboro, Massachusetts. I was just driving through this rural farm neighborhood for like 15 minutes, uh, starting to get kind of sketched out and never met these people before. And I was like, why are, why are they practicing out here? Like, am I about to get murdered or something? Um, so I, I remember going to the first practice feeling apprehensive, like, what am I doing? But also feeling like I should be doing this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I, I get there and it's, uh, our bassist, uh, Justin's grandparents farmhouse um so that's kind of where we ended up practicing every weekend for the last five years um but it was it was just interesting to show up there um and it was all he had it decorated with all these band posters and like flags and stuff like that um it kind of been his practice space for the last couple of years um basically uh our original vocalist and um, Ryan, our other guitarist, had been in a band together that had um, broken up it within that last year. And then Anthony, our drummer, and Justin, our bassist, had also been in a band together um, via um, the Radley Tree. Um, and they had, so they had both been in their own bands um, and had been connected through... Um, the band uh, Anyone Anyway, um, like a Providence-based band that does like um, like a Providence-based post-hardcore band. Um, played with them quite a few times. Um, so they kind of connected those four, and then they ended up deciding that they wanted a second guitarist. And I was like, I'm have I'm writing so much music right now. I'm just I'm dying to play with somebody. Um, first practice they had kind of a song sketched out already and I just started playing over it I just started writing some leads over it I don't think there was ever a spoken intention for me to be a lead guitarist per se but there's already rhythm guitar there so I just kind of played some leads um, and by the end of that first practice we had basically what you hear on our first album uh the Distance Grows Fonder is the song uh, Bury Me, which is the song first song we ever released back in May 2017. Yeah. And yeah, that one was basically wrapped up after the first practice we played as a five piece. Um, and that's kind of how writing that whole first album went was uh, 
we're like, all right, well, we vibe together uh, as a group of musicians. Um, I was really excited to have an outlet to write, um, like Screamo. Um, I just, uh, so both me and Ryan kept bringing ideas to, uh, practice. Um, I'm kind of the type of person who, when I have an idea, I end up kind of compulsively seeing it through all the way. So I would have this riff idea and I would write an entire song. Um, I would write both guitar parts. I would write the drum parts and then I would bring it to practice and be like, all right, let's learn this. Um, kind of a, a headache in a frustrating way for, um, other musicians to have to learn that way instead of having more freedom to write their own parts. situations honestly like I've been in situations where someone was just like show me what to do mm-hmm. and then and then yeah but when you're in uh, the type of situation where there are other people that are just like nah I just want to I just want to get the idea of it and go on my own then that mm-hmm. that is definitely a situation where you could butt heads or whatever but um mm-hmm. but like yeah I I'm 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 used to basically be the same way and I had to sort of learn not to be that way but if I (laughs) if I start tracking something and I spend too much time with it I'll do the exact same thing and so if I know I'm going to work with other people I have to just do what I'm supposed to do and get it to the other people as fast as possible before I just start getting too many (laughs) ideas you know Um, Mm -hmm. yeah it's just too fun like when you're like you throw down the rhythm or whatever and you're like, oh, I know exactly what could happen there. And then and then you just mm-hmm. start having fun and the next thing you know, you're like, oh no, I just did the whole thing. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. So did you have to like let go of that a bit to to like, so that everybody was happy or is it just like there's oh, yeah. a, few, a few ways that you go about it or? Um, it's a little bit of both. Uh... So yeah, that was kind of how we wrote the first album, was we wrote a couple songs together and then I brought a whole bunch, like four of the songs in, just like finished, and we just kind of learned it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had that album written after like six months of being a band, um, and then that was released about a year after our first practice, so that all came together real quick. Um, And then we kind of started writing again right away, uh, writing... The songs that ended up being on Modern Grotesque. Um, so, kind of the first two we started working on were um, painting. The uh, first 
second track, first mm. full track, and Sayaka. Uh, so I think during that process, we consciously tried to write a little bit more as a band. Um, and th there's many reasons the album took a long time. Uh, we've talked a lot about it being the cursed album. I was going to ask why that <laughs> was called that. <laughs> oh, yeah. There, there's that. a lot. A lot that happened in the process of getting it released. Um, but one of the things was there was definitely a point where people didn't just want to learn a song I had written out all the way, or they wanted to change something. And I kind of had to to learn to, to, to humor that and be like, oh, well, I had it in my mind exactly this way, but people want to do something else so I, I can't just shoot that idea down like these are my bandmates they play their own instruments I'm they they know what they're doing and I'm choosing to work with them so I really need to start putting some some trust into them uh, I think one of them was uh, um, the the last ballad um, on modern grotesque okay. uh, so originally it did the whole first half and then the bridge and then I just had it do the first half again as kind of like a recap. I was like, okay, we did all that, and then it makes sense to kind of re-go through this verse-chorus thing again, um, just to make it like a clean song. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't really feel like playing that all again the same way, uh, and ended up writing that... Um, the, the, the second half after the bridge where I do kind of the tappy part um, that was that was a change the band proposed um, okay and I was kind of like oh, they're they're mess messing with my my vision um, my baby but yeah. <laughs> but yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna go with this because we're a band uh -huh. uh, I just kind of like anger wrote that mm -hmm. tapping riff over it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we're like okay I mean yeah this is the song is for the better for it. It has a big, leads up to this big exciting moment that um, feels like a journey from the start to the end. Um, it's a lot more exciting than if we just had to recap that whole first half again. Right. Um, but I kind of had to learn to let go and trust the people I was working with on that. Um, so that was, there. there has been kind of moving from me writing the songs out all the way and making everyone learn them too. We're trying to consciously write more as a band and honestly it's a lot harder for me to let myself write less and to listen to other people. Um, so that's been a big learning experience for me because everything before that with a lot of Vivid Illusion, a lot of Demise of Italus, it was like, all right, I'm writing these songs, now everyone else gets to learn them. And it was like, that's not really fun for other people. <laughs> and yeah. also it doesn't necessarily lead to the best product. Like, Modern Grotesque is the way it is because we wrote it as a band and not because one person wrote it and um, everyone else learned the songs. Yeah. But at, at I mean the same time, yeah. It At can the same add time, a lot of layers, for yeah. sure. Yeah. There's but also a couple songs where I did kind of just write it out all the way, and I'm like, all right, let's learn this. Um, the, the title track's one of those. Um, I think 
So there's kind of some compromise of like, we want to write more as a band, but okay, fine. You can have, you can do this one. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, it's with me. It was like at some point, you know, uh, I, I started to see things happening, which were not what I thought at all. And at first I, I didn't like necessarily like it. And later mm -hmm. I, I would be like, damn, that was kind of the right call though. Like, oh, yeah. you know, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't push back. I would just be like, yeah, this is as much this other person's thing as it is mm -hmm. mine. So like, let, I'll just let this happen. And, and, you know, I do have like, I do have other bands where I do like literally the whole thing myself. So it's like, mm -hmm. not like I'm, not like I'm short on opportunities to, you know, like, manipulate the entire soundscape or whatever you know so like um and it, yeah it's really weird how like uh sometimes you know with the different people you work with it's like you can especially when you played with people for a long time and you can sort of be like i know exactly what they're gonna do on this thing but mm -hmm. then like sometimes it's they they'll surprise you but it's still exactly what they would do but it's not what you thought so it's somehow better you know i don't i don't know if that's you know always the case but that's when you realize like yeah this is better because you let something mm -hmm. else happen and didn't just try to steer the the whole the whole thing mm -hmm. um you said there was lots of reasons that you called that the cursed album and that's obviously other than um the writing part you know being like stressful or something to adapt to um what other like what other roadblocks did you face you know other than mm -hmm. what a lot of people did which is you know like uh due to like covid and everything like that um were there was there just like other like technical issues or oh yeah there's there's quite a few things so we probably had over half the album written by halfway through 2018, um, at least instrumentally. Um, as you, you might be able to tell if you've listened to the first album, the second album, uh, there's, there's a new change in vocalists. So uh -huh. our vocalist now is uh, KZ, um, obviously a perfect, perfect fit for us um, and really brought a lot lyrically and stylistically to the band and I think it's really brought us to a new level um and people have noticed that um so kind of in that time frame of 2018 uh we were just going through and 2019 we were just kind of going through um while we were working with our old vocalist and eventually him leaving the band um partway through writing that album and actually partway through recording the first versions of painting and Sayaka, uh, that, that was definitely a big setback. Um, and then we ended up having another vocalist who isn't present on any of our recordings, who kind of honestly led the band on his old band had just broken up and he was like, yeah, I'm all in like, uh, let's do this. I want to be the new vocalist of Dreamwell. Um, 
bikes ended up being really flaky. I would have to drive up to New Hampshire to pick them up. <laughs> um, and just kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm working on these parts, I promise. I'm just really slow. Um, played a few shows with him, and then he ended up kind of tell, not even telling us, but announcing publicly, like, oh, I'm actually in this totally different band. Um, this has been all I've been working on the last six months. Um, so oh, no. <laughs> it kind of felt like, kind of felt like, like we had been told we're, we thought we were in a relationship, but we were really just the, uh, the, the side <laughs> on yeah. the side there. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, uh, we ended up kicking him out after that. Um, for a while we were just like, I don't know what we're going to do. I yeah, don't want to go through this again. Um, at, at one point we were talking about me and Ryan alternating on vocals, but like, I'm I'm not that smart. I can't do two things at once. I, I, do, I can do a few backup vocals, but I can't handle doing that much at once. Um, uh, so luckily, um, Ryan had played in the band uh, Lymphoma Twins with KZ. Um, so it's more of a doom metal band. Uh, like doom and noise, very influenced by bands like the body and stuff like that um mm -hmm. and for a while i was like i don't know is kz gonna be a good fit like they're in this super heavy doomy extreme band um and we're like a screamo band um but we basically we sent him painting um and he showed up for the first practice lyrics written killed it sounded perfect so i was like yep you're in um, <laughs> great great fit with us um and uh i felt really felt like for the first time in the band's entire history that we were united as a group of five of us um it wasn't like us versus someone else like the instrumental session section versus the vocalist it was all five of us um and we kind of had to learn to work together without there being one person we felt like we were always butting heads with. Um, so that felt, that was a new experience too. Um, so Casey joined in 2019, partway through 2019, played a few shows with them, wrote the entire album, pre-proed it, and then we booked the entire month of March 2020 to <laughs> record the album with... Um, Ryan Stack at uh, Noise Floor Studio in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. um, so you could probably probably know that that didn't go quite according to plan. Yeah. Based on that timeline. Um, yeah. We actually we did start recording. Um, it was actually pr literally the last thing we did before quarantining. Um, I remember the first weekend of March going up to do drum day and then um, guitar day. Um, another fun element was that on the drum day, um, a week before that, um, so Anthony, our drummer, is an electrician, uh, so he's always kind of working with on his feet, working with various tools, kind of dangerous conditions. Thank God he didn't shock himself to death, but... Uh, he was apparently opening a box with a box cutter and it slipped and he stabbed himself in the leg 
um, it was like a deep wound. Um, oh my goodness. So he was kind of dealing with an infection from that too. He could barely walk. Um, but he showed up at the studio, uh, and tracked the drums for this whole album that day. Um, I don't, I don't know how he did it. Um, he was basically limping to come into the studio to listen to his takes. Uh, but he got the parts done. Uh, so that was another fun element of our curse. Um, <clears throat> so we ended up doing drums, bass, rhythm, guitar. Um, by the time we got to my lead guitar parts, things had started to shut down. Um, all non-essential businesses were closed, so we were just kind of stuck for a bit. Um, luckily, I, I was the one with somewhat of a home studio. Um, so once it became obvious that things weren't going to open up anytime soon, I ended up recording my own guitar parts. Um, and we ended up, that's what we used for the album. Uh, so that's, that's why I do have an engineering credit on the album was just because literally I couldn't get to the studio to track them. Um, and then finally in July, when things were looking a little bit better, Casey went back up to noise floor to do vocals. Um, and then we had a day of kind of feedback, extra guitar parts and, uh, backing vocals. Um, and then just kind of, we were, we were waiting on the mix, um, got around to late October of that year, uh, the COVID numbers are starting to come back up again. Um, I really wanted to be there for the final mix. Um, I'm, it's like kind of the engineer in the band. Uh, I, I had a lot of feedback. I wanted to be there to make sure a few things got sorted out. So I wanted to go through the last day of mixing with, uh, with Ryan. Um, so we had a date in mind. Um, I ended up canceling because I was going to visit some friends in Vermont the weekend after. I just wanted to be extra careful. Um, and then I found out on that trip that, uh, that Ryan Stack had gotten COVID. Um, and this was before vaccines, so I would have gotten exposed if I had gone. Um, yeah. So... We rescheduled for a few weeks later, and when he was better again, um, and were able to uh, wrap up mixing on the album at the end of October last year, um, I think it was like November 1st, 2020, um, and so, uh, yeah, obviously then the album came out February this year, um, we were kind of... We were working with a small label. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name drop them here. Uh, but basically, we had started a campaign with them. Um, they bailed on us working with uh, with the. They were gonna make vinyl for it, uh, and then kind of bailed on us with that. Uh, so when everyone's asking why we don't have vinyl yet, <laughs> that's why. Oh my um, goodness. And then. Literally a week before the album came out, we they were kind of doing less for us, and we ended up doing our own, having to make our own pre-sale campaign, because um, we're like, we need to do something to promote this album. Uh, we found out a week before the release that they hadn't uploaded to Spotify yet, um, and then 
a few days before the release, they uh, they dropped us. Um, and they're just like, oh, we don't have time for this, so we're dropping you. Um, and so it had already been essentially a, a self-released album, but yeah, literally three or four days before the album dropped, there was this whole drama with the label dropping us. We had to explain why, and then they got mad at us for explaining why, and then tons of other bands in the local scene came out with similar experiences of being misled, um, ripped off, uh, and all of this. Um, meanwhile, we didn't have our album up on streaming in time, so uh, yeah. even the, the release itself couldn't go that smoothly. Um, we were expecting uh, like, a, like an asteroid to hit on February 26th um, but the album came out and it got it got so, way more of a reception than we ever could have imagined even with all the with everything that had gone on it was kind of just like alright let's get this thing out like and move on and start working on something new because we're sick of this um, and so it was really a surprise to see how much it resonated with people yeah for sure i bet i mean i don't know and i like uh deservedly so it's it was like practically all i heard about for a little while so like <laughs> um i'm really glad that after all of that y'all were able to mm -hmm. you know feel that love for the for the album at least mm -hmm. um yeah and it's like I, I really think the circumstances are are part of it. It's obviously not a particularly joyous album. It's an album full of full of struggle, um, and it's it's really built into the album itself at every step. Every step of it was a struggle. The writing, the recording of it, the promotion, the release. It's like, and I don't think I think it had to happen that way to be what it was. Um, and our next, whatever we do next is going to be different just because the circumstances are going to be so much different. Have anything else that you would like to add? Yeah. So aside from Dreamwell, and we've talked about Vivid Illusion a bunch, um, obviously the, uh, kind of finishing Vivid Illusion albums was a bit, album was a big process too. Um, but ultimately me and Ant um, uh, ended up finishing it together this year um, but that was also kind of a long process where we were never sure if we were going to finish but that was something where in the last couple months of the year I decided it, it was time um, I, you've probably seen from the imagery that it's a very orangey album a very fall album and we're like alright we gotta release it now end of October this year or like it's not gonna happen <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you've known uh, our first album it was released in September 2013 um, I feel like it's kind of the summer album Circumnavigation was released in spring 2015 so I feel like that's the spring album it's kind of rainy very green uh and then this one was definitely the fall album. So uh, 
I, I don't know when we're going to get to it, but we have to write a winter album now. Um, we decided it's going to be slowcore. Um, just no, no metal, uh, just entirely a, um, a slowcore album. <laughs> okay. Because why not? <laughs> yeah. We've, we've no, played uh-huh. enough played enough metal um and then kind of my other endeavor i've been focusing on in the last year and a half i've talked about my studio work with james um and kind of recording my parts for the dreamwall album too but um one of the other effects from like the pandemic was kind of uh me and me and james really leaning into the into the studio um he was, he had a lot of time off work from the quarantine. Um, and so we kind of really focused on building up our gear for the studio uh, and um, trying to reach out to artists. Um, and uh, kind of during the same time, uh, back in May, or yeah, just throughout 2020, I, I started my, um, my uh, transition. Um, and kind of also that introduced me to a new community of people. So it was kind of all just fell into place where we wanted to do more of the studio. I met a lot more musicians and also kind of felt like had the sense of like, I really want to, I, I want to stop just like letting my life waste away at this like tech job. I want to like do something with this. Um, and yeah, so over the last year and a half, we've been building the studio, we've been working with more people. And then August of this year, I ended up leaving that uh, the job I came up to Boston for and doing basically the studio work and uh, working on my band stuff full time. Uh, so yeah, that's also been a huge part of my life. Um, and hopefully I get to keep doing that. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Um, d- like, before you take a big jump like that, were you, did you try to prepare yourself, like, financially, or were you just like, uh, look, if I don't do this now, I'll never do it? Um, yeah, so obviously it was a very big jump to take. Um, I felt like I was prepared in a few ways. One was just that making... <clears throat> making the decision to just like transition a year before that was maybe even a bigger jump. Um, and I made that and I was able to see the positive life effects from that. Um, I was able to kind of see, I had so many fears about it before then. And then obviously a lot of those were valid. Obviously things are difficult, but it was what I needed to do. And I kind of knew that taking that jump with uh, my career was gonna be the same, that it was gonna be hard to rip the Band-Aid off, but it was going to be a good thing. And that once I did it, the path would be a little bit more clear. Um, so I did, I did save a lot of money. Um, Honestly, I probably would have wanted to wait a little bit longer, um, but the the circumstances of my job, a lot of them related to me coming out at that job, um, kind of made it so I wasn't able to stay there much longer. Um, 
they didn't fire me. They kind of forced me in a position where I had to quit. And obviously that's, it's, it's a terrible thing that so many um, trans people face where you, even if they start with a good paying career and a, like a steady income, they're forced out of it one way or another. Um, yeah. And that's, and, and I'm one of the lucky ones in that I ha- I already had what I, what I wanted to do next in mind. So it, it was a horrible thing to have to go through, but really it kind of forced me to make this very tough decision instead of continuing to postpone it and procrastinate on it. Um, but I still want to, to fight for and advocate for others who are in that situation who don't have as much of a, who don't have a safety net to, um, to help them in that case. Yeah. Yeah. When you, um, when you just finally did, you know, start working for yourself though, what were your first steps? Like, did you like register as an LLC or what, like, Take us through the like, like more like legal or whatever processes of like mm-hmm. establishing yourself as like a self-employed person. Mm-hmm. Honestly, still working on a lot of that. Okay, <laughs> as I okay. said, I'm that's not... fair. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. I'm... It is mm-hmm. a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not naturally a business person, but I have right. people to talk to to help me out. Um, I have friends who are into more of the business side. Luckily, my, my mom's helping me out with the tax side. Um, so really, um, it's interesting because uh, I made a few posts on, on Twitter about how I was... I, I posted a picture of myself uh, when I started my job. Very different. Uh, short hair, uh, wearing a button-up shirt. And then I posted a picture of myself six years later leaving the job. Um, and that post actually got me a ton of new followers, <laughs> um, <laughs> which, and I got multiple requests to work with the studio through that. So um, just the act of me leaving kind of opened a lot of those doors to new um, opportunities with working with people. Um, that first month was the most successful month of the studio uh, up to that point just because I feel like I was writing off the pure hype of like like screw the this I'm up. doing this yeah like I'm yeah. doing this like <laughs> and yeah. it's it's tough to get to a point where it feels sustainable um, I'm I'm still working off having saved a lot of money before um so we're trying to get to a point where it's sustainable, but um, it's feeling a little more possible every month. Um, so we're hoping to get to a place where we can keep doing this, but also keep giving keep giving a space to uh, the queer people specifically to have a place where they feel welcome and comfortable and... Um, being able to work with someone other than like a cishet dude in the studio um, and to be able and also have it be affordable and accessible. Um, And that's, 
it's a lot of things to balance at once. Um, obviously, it would be much easier just to uh, bump the prices and seek out people who had more money, but that's never been that's never been the vision. That's what I've been trying to get away from my whole life is feeling like I'm just doing something for a paycheck. Um, I've always been looking for that that purpose. Um, so I think that's driving me to keep doing that, even if it makes it a little more challenging. And that was my conversation with Aki McCullough. Thanks again, Aki, for taking the time to chat with me. It's really awesome to hear about what you're doing with your studio. And if y'all are in the area and things are in a better position to do so, definitely give her a shout. Until next time, take care and do good things.